0: Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at CelebrationChurchLive.com. Well, if you've got your bulletin or you've got your bulletin app or wherever, however it is you're going to track along with the notes, maybe you've just got a blank piece of paper and you're just going to follow along, make your own notes, that's great. Um, but we're in the fifth part of our Contrary to Popular Opinion series, and we've led with this idea each week that as culture moves further away from life in Jesus, we must learn to live contrary to popular opinion we've got to learn to do that. Um, it doesn't come natural to us. It's what's natural is to, is to just kind of go with the flow, go with the culture. That's what comes natural. And, and you and I have to learn to live contrary to popular opinion. Of course, week one, we establish the truth um, that to live contrary to popular opinion, we don't have to be contrary um, we don't have to be angry and difficult and, and self-righteous and yelling all the time. We don't have to do that. And as we look at the life of Daniel, and that's what we've been doing over these weeks, um, Daniel um, lived through multiple cultural changes, um, got completely uprooted out of his life but his devotion to god his his understanding of who god was him living that love for god out in the way he interacted with people who didn't love god that began to have this amazing transformative effect on everywhere he went and it just made a difference and he became one of the most influential people uh, across multiple different nations. He finds his mark being led and, and made in multiple different kingdoms simply because he walked out who he was called to be in the middle of a, of a culture that was contrary and hostile to his own beliefs. See, Paul knows we live in that space. Early church was born in that space. The, the Jerusalem where the church started out, massively, massively hostile to the truth of what Jesus had accomplished and who Jesus was. The Roman culture, very hostile towards it. But somehow the truth alive inside the, the early disciples was so evident to the people that they connected with that they were willing to walk away from their life and join something that was actually being persecuted that was actually not trending that was actually challenging simply because the life was so clearly portrayed in Jesus' in Jesus's disciples and that's where the early church began and folks this is where it's heading in America it breaks my heart I hate it but this is where it's going to. we've got to learn to live this way so Paul writes to believers in Rome, here in Romans chapter 12, verse two, and, and he reminds them, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We either are embracing transformation or there is this slow process of conforming that we just begin to connect and conform to everything else around us, and we have to purposely embrace what the the transforming process that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Being a part of Sunday morning church, fantastic space, fantastic space to be able to connect. Tuning in, being able to be apart from wherever you can be apart, fantastic, awesome, because we are celebrating, we, we worship, we remind ourselves of who our God is. You need, you need the worship. God doesn't need the worship. You need the worship. You need to be reminded uh, to speak Jesus. You need to be reminded. Because guess what? Jesus ain't the only thing that wants to come out of your mouth. And sometimes when Jesus comes out of your mouth, it ain't a prayer. Sometimes. And so we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of that. That's why with these gatherings are so important We break open the scriptures so that the scriptures can begin to renew our minds. But I hope, I hope you're spending time in the scriptures during the week. I hope you're engaging with some podcasts during the week. I hope you're engaging in some personal prayer and devotional time during the week that is allowing that transformative process to carry on and that all of these things layered together through the work of the Holy Spirit helps us to genuinely transform and and we need to be transformed in, in the way we think because where we begin to conform immediately begins to show up in the way we think. And thinking is so important because that's where our decisions are made, which leads to the first thing we're gonna harvest out of the book of Daniel today, and that's the choices that you make today will set, up, set you up for tomorrow. The choices you make today They're going to set you up for tomorrow. They have consequences in our lives. The the choices we make to conform, they have consequences for tomorrow. The choices we make to transform, they have wonderful consequences for tomorrow. And so the thing is, is we need to make sure we use today. Now, yesterday's gone. Last week's gone. Last year's gone. But guess what? We have today to be able to embrace this space. And we need to make sure we set things up today. Because the way you set them up is the way that you're going to be able to, to, to determine which direction things are going to go. Um, Cutie and I, that's what I call my wife, uh, we have seven kids. Um, we have uh, five of them are grown adults now. And so we got to go through the wonderful parenting process of teaching them to drive. And so, um, which is uh, one of the scariest things. Uh, somebody could make some money if they would rent out one of those driver's ed cars that has the brake on the passenger side. Um, I just think there'd be, there's money to be made in renting that thing out. And, um, but you're just sitting there feeling so helpless on the other side. The only thing you can use to control them is the intensity of your screams. And so, and... <laughs> That doesn't always work. And so, um, praise God, I made the decision early on uh, to uh, invest the money in paying someone else at a driving academy to teach my kids how to drive. And um, so, all you who did parent taught, my hat's off to you. You're, you're amazing. And uh, we, we, we subbed that out. And so, got a subcontractor handling that in. So, but in the final moment, um, we, you know, we make the decision, okay, it's, it's, it's time. You're ready. You're, you've hit the appropriate age. You know, 16 is here. Um, we're confident to be able to, to turn you loose, and now you got to go take the driving test. Well, my, our oldest three kids, um, thanks to my, my grandmother, um, my oldest three kids had a, had a car to drive, a 1993 Mercury Grand Marquee. Uh, if you don 't know what this is it 's a boat with wheels is what it is it, it is It is two hundred and twelve point four inches of steel um, and this happened to be uh, kind of a seafoam mint green and so it was not a uh, it was not a cool car uh, by any means but it, it ran it worked and so and then they had to get their they had to get their driver 's license in this. 1993 Mercury Grand Marquis. So the very first thing you have to do is you have to parallel park. And so and you got to park this boat um, and parallel park it. And so and they're smart. That's the very first thing you do. You're there. You don't even leave the office before. You know, if you can't parallel park it, you've failed. They didn't go anywhere. Better luck next time. And so we would go out there the night before, did this with all of them, And uh, we would go out and practice, make sure all the DPS officers were far, far away. And so, and we would go out there and practice, set them up, because there was a way that if you drove up and you had that rear tire aligned with the front flag exactly just right, uh, and then you turned the wheel all the way, and then you floated that big old hood across and just turned. And then there was a certain tree. And if that tree was at this point in your windshield, as soon as it hit that, you started turning the other direction. And then it would sit there and just snake that thing in there. But if you did not set up initially right, it was not working. If you pulled up a little too far... Not going to work. If you pull that, didn't pull up far enough, not going to work. You're not getting in there. So we would practice this and just loop over and over and over again. If DPS ever just watched their footage, they, would, they wouldn't know what we were doing. We were just drunk and stuck. They're like, this is going to be the easiest arrest we've ever made. And so this person can't drive, and so they're going nowhere. So, and it was just, we just did it over and over and over again until they, they nailed it five times in a row. Like you nailed it five times in a row, we're done, you've got this tomorrow, we're good, and sure enough, they all took care of business and put put that big old beast in in between those flags. But the way it had to be done is you had to set it up from the beginning. If right there, if it wasn't right from the beginning, making alterations later was just almost impossible. You had to start out right. And praise God. God does in our lives help us to make alterations, but guess what? He's given us today to make some good decisions. He's given us today. Let's go ahead and say, Holy Spirit, help me make good decisions today. My today impacts my tomorrow. Let's make good decisions today. And we see that in the life of David. It completely, I mean, Daniel, it completely set him up. Now, as we started and we met Daniel, week one, Daniel chapter one, Daniel is there living his life, loving God. They're in the land of Judah. Jerusalem is, you know, is there doing its own thing, and then King Nebuchadnezzar sends his armies, they dominate, they besiege it, they they just completely harvest everything out of the temple, just desecrate the temple, and then grab some of the more talented people, the more intelligent, capable people. Of the Hebrew people to force them to serve in the Babylonian kingdom. And Daniel is one of those who gets snagged. As they look around, they're like, okay, Daniel, you're going to go over here to our capital and you're going to serve in the palace. You're going to serve over here um, because you're obviously, you're intelligent. You've, you've got skills and, and your upbringing and all these different things that they set you apart. And that was, that was, Daniel's life. Daniel, at 17 years old, gets kidnapped, taken away from everything he knows. But somehow, in some amazing fashion, those 17 years living there in the land of Judah, living there with his family, worshiping God every Sabbath... Understanding who Jehovah was, understanding that God had carried the people of Israel out of Egypt, opened the Red Sea, had done miracle after miracle after miracle, got deep down in the heart of this 17-year-old that now, as all of a sudden he's carried into a place that nobody's holding him accountable. Nobody's holding him accountable to the way he was raised, Nobody's doing that, but it's so alive on the inside of him, he cannot let it go. He's like, even though it looks like that that all is lost, I still have my faith in the one true God. Even though nobody else around me believes it, I believe it. Something amazing was done in those first 17 years. Folks, that's why what is happening across the hall over there is so important. What is happening in that children's ministry is so vital that those seven-year-olds, do you know what they're learning right now? They're learning the same thing. They're learning that their choices today help set them up for tomorrow. They're learning that sometimes it's hard to live for God when culture goes in another direction. Why does a seven-year-old need to learn that? Because that's the life they're going to live one day. Why does a 10-year-old need to learn that? Because God is faithful, and that's what they've got to live it out. And guess what? There may be a space where all of a sudden the input option is now over. All of a sudden, at 17 years old, the fresh input option was over for his parents. The fresh input option was over for those that cared about him and were mentoring him. All of a sudden, he was thrust into the rest of his life. But such a deposit was made in him in his first 17 years that it carried him for decades of amazing service. Well, folks, I'm telling you what we what we do with our children. It matters so much. Here's the other amazing thing: is when Nebuchadnezzar and his armies begin to come in, and they're like, wanting to to grab some people to go and and serve and, and be in in their palace and and use their talents and their skills. Um, if they were to march into San Angelo and siege this space, and they're going to rifle through all of our people here at Celebration Church, you know who they're not taking. They're not taking Grandpa Brandon Clark. They're not taking me. You're like, no, he's done. We don't want him. You know who they're rating? They're rating YA. That's who they took. They took the 17 and uppers. That's who they took. They came in and they grabbed them. Guess what? Culture has always gone after that chunk of people. It has always gone after those who are deciding, how am I going to live this out as an adult? And guess what? Even as culture came in and tried to keep them in another direction, there had been such an impartation made in, in, in their childhood and in their early teen years that guess what? That Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they all chose to live for God in a place that nobody made them. Serve God. All of a sudden, guess what? Guess what? That, that is why it is so remarkable. I love it that this last Thursday there were over 170 young people in this space, 17 and up, right here in this room, loving Jesus, serving Jesus, passionate about Jesus. I think it's no accident that his culture begins to move further away from the teaching of Jesus. There's a generation that is hungrier than ever for the teachings of Jesus, that they could be anywhere on a Thursday night. There's bars offering all sorts of free stuff for them to do on Thursday night. And they're like, nope, you know I'm gonna go? I'm gonna go to YA. I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna hear the word. I'm gonna get some prayer. I'm gonna hang out with some people who are moving in this same direction. There's a, there is a revival happening right under our noses. God is working. He's moving. It is a beautiful, amazing, miraculous thing. and These things are just echoed right here out of the book of Daniel. They're just echoed. We just see the same playbook at work over and over and over again. And here, just to recap from last week, we get into Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. We covered this last week, but this is what sets up Daniel in the lion's den. Wait, before we read this. Daniel got carried away at 17. Now, the time we get to chapter six, Daniel is serving his third king. Daniel is serving his third king now in the second kingdom. The first two were Nebuchadnezzar and then Belshazzar, his son. And they were both Babylonian. Then the Babylonian kingdom gets dominated by the Medo-Persian kingdom. And this new guy named Darius is now in charge and some decades have gone by during this time. In this moment, where we're about to see with Daniel in the lion's den, we don't see a 17-year-old Daniel standing strong in his youth and his boldness. We don't see a, a 35-year-old. We don't see a 40-year-old. We see a Daniel in his early 80s. This that we're about to read, this, the, all these attributes that we're about to read, this is Daniel, in his early 80s, verse one, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. With three administrations over them, one of whom, three administrators over them. Let me get my glasses. With three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel, Daniel in his 80s, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is a guy that should have, in our culture, should have retired a long time ago. That all of a sudden that they're looking for new job applications and new people, um, all of a sudden there's like, um, yeah, no, he may have a little too much experience. For this job. All of a sudden, Daniel gets his biggest promotion of his life in his 80s. Gets his biggest job promotion in his life in his 80s. All of a sudden, there's the king and there's Daniel, and he's in charge of the whole kingdom. Well, guess what? That ticks some people off, made them mad. And at this, verse 4 says, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. He wasn't new to this. He had decades track record. Um, There would have been a lot of different decisions he made. Daniel lived decades in a culture that was hostile and had no skeletons in his closet. Nothing. Couldn't find anything to accuse him of. Couldn't find anything. They were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. This completely echoes what Paul teaches us in, the, in his writings to Colossians. And they're in Colossians chapter three, verse 23. says, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Work for God. Wherever you find yourself, work for God. That's what Daniel did. Wherever he found himself, he's like, I'm accountable to God. No one else is holding me to this standard. The spirit within me is holding me to this standard. And so he served each king, but he was serving the king. And so and all of a sudden, even now, now he, there's, these are people who had destroyed his culture, destroyed his homeland, taken him captive. He, there's no record of him ever seeing his family ever again. And he's able to forgive all of that offense and serve in such a distinguished way and live out his convictions before God. Folks, I'm telling you, this is such a, a wonderful, inspiring space, but he did it not working for men, but he worked for the Lord. But as you begin to do this, understand this truth, that people, people try to use your relationship with God against you. That all of a sudden, they're like, okay, well, that's a, that's a lever that can move things both ways. All of a sudden, here's this lever that begins to to move, the God lever begins to move you in your life. Well, we're gonna grab that God lever and try to make it have leverage against you. And that's what they did with Daniel as we're about to see. But if you've lived this Christian life with any kind of openness for any length of time, somebody has had a problem. They got irritated with you about something. Maybe there was a straight up point of hypocrisy. But they don't always have to be for them to pull this out. And they say, ooh, I, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a Christian. All of a sudden, as you begin to, to live out your convictions, at some point, somebody is going to throw that in your face. And we have to understand that is a standard tactic of the enemy. And we can do one of, we have to do one of two things when that happens. We have to always go, Lord, is there any truth to it? Is there any place that I have not honored you in the way I've done? And if that's not true, then you have to say, okay, Lord, that's just a standard attack of the enemy people just create stuff, fabricate stuff, misunderstand stuff, and it is going to happen. If you're trying to kind of keep everything together and walk in an honorable way, So nobody ever accuses you or comes at you. Um, First off, that's a real selfish motivation. You're just doing it for yourself so that nobody can point any fingers at you. The other thing is, is it's not gonna work. People are still gonna come at you. People are still gonna accuse you. Those things are still gonna happen. Uh, Daniel could not be accused. And yet we're gonna see they fabricated ways and used his relationship with God against him to be able to create an accusation. Here in verse five, it says, as finally these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. This guy is so devoted to God. They don't like him. They don't like him. These aren't the people who are, who are like building him up. These aren't his cheer squad. They don't like Daniel, but they see he is devoted to his God. And the only way we're gonna do this is if there's a law that says he can't worship his God. And we know Daniel is gonna worship his God anyways. I so want to have the kind of relationship with God that if somebody was to set a trap for me, that they would have to do it in that kind of a way, that we're just going to have to make a law that Pastor Brandon, if he's going to get in trouble, it's because he's just going to continue to boldly live for God. He's just going to boldly live for God. Sadly, there have been too many ministers that that's not the trap that has to be set. There have been too many ministers, they get trapped in all the other crud that anybody else gets trapped in. But I'm telling you, we're called to live this kind of a life that if the if if the uh, our adversaries are coming against us, it's gonna have to use our integrity against us. So verse six, it says, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, King Darius, live forever. Oh man, they just got all these little sweet words on their lips. Oh, they're people who are, who are building you up and they're always in your corner, right? They always have your best interest when they're flattering you. No, not always. May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, Shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it into the writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar, they were just old school kings. They just did whatever they want. They were kings. They said, I want this this way. This is the way it was. Ah, Nope, this afternoon. No, this is the way it's going to be. All was fine. But the Middle Persian Empire um, had created this, this connection, this alliance, and was able to have a king over them because they were one of the early ones to adopt a type of constitutional rule that even though Darius is the king, they had begun to say, no, there needs to be some checks and balances and there needs to be some things in here that when a law is made, the king just can't just change things all the time. He needs to actually think this through and that once he's made it a law, he can't change it. He can't change it. He can't just be doing things. And all of a sudden, that was the way it was. And there was a place where Darius, though he is the most powerful man on the planet at the time, this rule of law, if he did it this one way, was more powerful than him. And Daniel's haters knew that we're gonna have to take out the one guy who could be an advocate for Daniel. We're gonna have to take him out. And the only way that is if we make sure he puts it into law according to the Medes and the Persians and it can't be repealed. So they play to his arrogance. They play to his pride. And they go, you know what? would be pretty cool. Let's just park all religion, all worship for 30 days. King Darius would have been kind of awesome if everybody just prayed for, to you for like 30 days. It would be awesome. Um, let's do that. You're so amazing. You're so wise. Let's do that. And Darius fell for it. Now, for you and I, that sounds crazy. Like, who's going to fall for that? It sounds like, you know, it sounds like somebody might would want it, but who would actually do that? Well, guess what? In the ancient world, that it was common for them to think of their kings as, 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 gods. The pharaohs were all considered gods. The the Caesar Augustus, um, he, he was that was his name meant that he was he was a god with us. There there was a space that that was understood that they were that they were gods. And Darius just falls to this old human trap of ever desiring promotion. I mean, once you're king of the most powerful place on the earth, what's left but godhead? So. All of a sudden, sure, yeah, I'll be God for a month. Sounds good. And not thinking of the consequences of how this was going to go. So verse nine, so King Darius put the decree in writing. We need to understand that as... The world and the folks conspired against Daniel. There is this constant pressure from the enemy to create this place of tension because we, everyone knows we're built for love. We're built for love and it is natural for us to move away from hate. It's natural. God is love. We're built to live in his presence And so the enemy wants to stir hate to be able to to prod us and to move us. And Jesus warned us about this in John chapter 15, verse 18. It says, the world hates you. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus was very clear with his disciples that choosing a life of love with him, that there were going to be pe- people in spaces that automatically hated them. But don't take it personal. It's a reflection on the world's hatred for God. It's a hatred, reflection of the world's hatred for Jesus. And when, if we're going to live contrary to popular opinion, We need to brace ourselves for that space and be able to live in a space where we don't flee from the hate, but we love in spite of the hate. We serve in spite of the hate. All of a sudden, we see Daniel had rose to that place because he served and loved and was in that space in spite of the hate. See, choosing to follow God isn't always easy, but he is always with us. Here in verse 10, Um, we see that now Daniel learned that the decree had been published and he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So guess what? He does what Daniel does. He just keeps praying. And so sure enough, they make sure we got to get this done. And then in verse 14, when the king heard of this, he was greatly distressed. He realized that he'd been duped, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. The king of the land was trying to, but his hands were tied because of the law. One of the lessons of this is that when it, life hits a place that there's nothing that's humanly possible, Guess what? With God, all things are possible. We don't have to be freaked out when things aren't humanly possible anymore. When even the king couldn't do anything about it, we have a king of kings who can do something about it. And all of a sudden, we need to recognize that and begin to live in that space. And then verse 16, it says, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That sounds remarkably like a prayer to me. We're still inside of this window, and he's talking to Daniel. like, Daniel, may the God whom you serve rescue you. Where's his plea at? It's not to Daniel. It's the God whom Daniel serves. Even Darius violated the decree and Slid a little prayer in to the God that Daniel serves. Verse 18 it says, And the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating. Not only did he pray, he fasted. We see the highest king of the land, who his pride created the problems, immediately began to be a part of the solution. Now he prayed, he began to fast. He went without eating without any, any entertainment being brought to him, he kept Netflix and Hulu and all that turned off. It's like, no entertainment, I'm just gonna sit here and intercede. Sometimes we need to put the distractions aside, folks. Sometimes we do. When, there's, when, things, when things are tough, sometimes what we wanna do when things are really tough, we just, it's so hard on us mentally, um, we just wanna check out. And we want to sit there and, oh, here, I'll just veg out and watch this. That's not what we need to do. We don't need to check out. We need to lean in. We need to begin to pray. We need to say, hey, God, what are you saying? We begin to talk to him. We, all, we, we begin to see what actually should be happening. And, and he stayed up all night. He couldn't sleep. But well, guess what? Daniel just needed to be in there for the night. So guess what? A guy who stays up all night. Uh, what's he looking for? He's looking for the break of dawn. And then in verse 19, it says, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. This is the king. The kings don't hurry anywhere. They have servants to hurry for the king. But the king got up and he himself hurried down there and he shows up down there. And in verse 20, it says, and then he came near the den and he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Where was his faith in? His faith was in the, in the God that Daniel served. And Daniel answered, May the king live forever." Then that one little spot, his first words out of his mouth, is carrying this place of, I don't hold you responsible. It was your pride that got me in this space. I did nothing but good to you and your pride got me in here. He's not, there's no contempt. There's no unforgiveness. He's not, despite all your efforts, king, yes, my God protected me. No, he is very forgiving. He is very kind. He says, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. Here we see Daniel in his 80s, having served multiple kings and multiple um, moments, has had incredible moments that you see in the scriptures. Lots of cool things. But if I say Daniel, you say lion's den. That's just the way it goes. There's lots of cool things that we see in Daniel's life. Lots of cool things. He, he is a prophet, but we don't say Daniel the prophet. We say Daniel and the lion's den. See, the thing is, is the thing that almost took him out, the thing that was set up to take him out actually became his legacy. What we know thousands of years later and thousands of miles away were the things that was the trap that his haters set up for him. The way you respond to the trap set up for you, the way you handle things that can honestly, that might be your legacy. That all of a sudden you didn't respond like the rest of the family responded that you didn't handle things the way the rest of the team handled it. That you didn't respond in the way the rest of the employees handled things. All of a sudden, these different things. Maybe you handle things in a different way. And all of a sudden, your legacy can be set up by the things that, that, that tried to take you out. Your lions can become your legacy. And here's the other thing is, is this moment. Daniel had a lot of great moments, but the one we know him for didn't happen until he was in his 80s didn't happen to him, he was in his 80s. Folks, I want to talk to all of the retirement crowd, okay? You're 65 and up. Um, I'm here to tell you, please don't let the world tell you that your most effective years have somehow slipped behind you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Daniel's greatest moments happened after he was 80 years old. Everybody in here breathing oxygen. You've got the call of God on your life. God's got a plan for your life. God wants to work through your life. And just because you weren't Daniel at 17 doesn't mean you can't be Daniel at 80. Just because you missed it when you were 17 and you did some embarrassing things when you were 17 doesn't mean that God can restore and you walk like Daniel at 80. God wants to carry us into fresh, wonderful, amazing places. And then here we see, we wrap this up in verse 25. It says, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth. Uh, This guy's preaching. This is a, he's preaching. I just tag out. Darius, you're it, preach. I mean, this is, This is good. He rescues, he saves, he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Guess what? Even at 80 years old, there was still another king in his future. He would serve and, and help out. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me, You may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Our bottom line is this, that when you walk with God, you never walk alone. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.